The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso with Born to be Breastfed. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm here today with my special guest, Melanie Silverman, MS, RD, IBCLC. Melanie is the Chief Clinical Officer at Pacify. She has 16 years of clinical expertise as a pediatric specialized dietitian, that is RD, and lactation consultant, IBCLC, including seven years at the University of Chicago Medical Center. Melanie, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Marie. I am so jazzed to go into this show because when I found out that you talk about picky eaters, and while we all know that you have many abilities, this is clearly your subspecialty here, are picky eaters. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, when I first found out about that, the first person that jumped into my head is my husband because he is a picky eater. <laughs> you know, some years ago, we were young, we were really young, and his parents took us out for dinner. And I ordered some really unusual thing. I don't remember now what it was, but it was very unusual. And his mother spoke up, quiet, soft-spoken, lovely woman, and she said, "Wow, Marie, it seems to me that you eat everything." How is it that you've come to be able to eat everything? And before I could get my response out, his father said, it, very out of character for his father, because his father was usually was, was so uh, respectful, but to my utter astonishment, Dave's father said, that's because when she was a kid and she didn't like what was for dinner, her mother didn't jump up and make her a hamburger. <laughs> So, oh my gosh. When yes. I think about picky eaters, that's what I think about. So, you know, honestly, we have some, this is a, a show about breastfeeding. So I want to start out talking a little bit about the breastfeeding connection, but we know it's bigger than that. We have some really good research that shows that breastfed infants are more likely to eat vegetables and more likely to eat foods that their mother ate while they were nursing. So, the science is all well and great, but what I want to know is, how does that square with your experience dealing with parents and their little kids? Well, you know, that's, that's an excellent question. And sometimes I have to tell you that the research that I read and then the things that I see in my office don't jive, Marie. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. I think that 
you know, everybody has good intentions of, of getting their children to have good nutrition. But it's not just about, I find, um, what... Uh, the breastfed mother is eating all the time. It is definitely a part of it because as you and I both know that there's changes in the taste of breast milk as the mother's diet changes, which is a great benefit for the child. Absolutely, yes. But it also, Marie, there's a missing link and that is what we will um, get to today, I know. Um, And that missing link is how the parents react to what's happening with the child and what they're eating. And what's interesting about your story is um, that your mom didn't react to any pickiness. Um, you know, she just served you what she served you and you became right. this eater. Now, that's obviously not true for all children. And we can uh, dive into that a little bit. But um, in my office, I do see quite a bit of families that are breastfeeding for quite a while that do have picky eaters too. And so mm, we have to make okay. adjustments. We have to make adjustments. And usually we can, we can get them eating again. Melanie, I'm thinking that you're saying that having being exposed to those tastes, both in utero and while breastfeeding, is part of the equation, but it's not the whole equation. It doesn't explain everything. Correct. So Correct. you're saying also that some of it is is behavioral? Yes. And so, you know, this is actually um, a really important principle, Marie, that I really, I, I just want to get the word out. And it's funny because if you pick up a parenting magazine or you talk to your pediatrician, you hear this phrase all the time. And it comes from a very, very special um, woman in pediatric nutrition named Ellen Satter, who is a dietitian out of Wisconsin, who okay. really everybody should read. And what she has said for the many, many decades now and has written beautiful books on this is the division of responsibility. And what that says is parents and caregivers are in charge of providing food. It is then the child's decision whether they eat the food or not. It's called the division of responsibility in feeding. The parents provide and the child decides. And so if parents start to cross that line, Marie, it can be a problem. If they start Mm -hmm. to force feed or they start to bribe them or play games or start to cook all these different meals for them, it really starts to change the way children react to food and behave with food. And I'll tell you, I mean, it's all with the best of intentions and love. Parents don't sure. do this to make their children crazy. Sure. They do this sure. because they're worried, you know, yeah. and, and this is a legitimate good parenting. Um, what we have to do is rearrange the way they're thinking and behaving. And so really teaching that division of responsibility is important. Uh, Melanie, would it be fair then to say that kids can use food to manipulate the parent? I would say yes. Oh, okay. Because I'm thinking back to my own mother who I just don't remember getting any kind of a rise out of her. She put food on the table, which, by the way, my mother did not always put food on the table that most kids would like. But it's like you ate it or you didn't eat it. And she kind of just didn't really react to that one way or the other. And and that really, um, I don't know if she read Ellen Satter at that time. Or, oh, no, she know, probably was sure. old enough to be Ellen Satter's That's mother. Right. <laughs> That's right. I mean, Ellen Satter, she, she's, bless her heart, she's been around for a while. But the principles that your mother used with you are are of, of the basis of what um, she's done a lot of her research on and what, what I use in my practice. But I want to make something very clear. Um, there are those generalized picky eaters that I treat that that 
don't have any other past medical history. And then there are other children that do carry another diagnosis. And okay. so you have to be really careful because there are some children that, you know, I may teach the division of responsibility to and really teach the parents where their um, um, responsibility lies and then what their children should expect. But sometimes there are children with diagnoses like autism or some sensory issues that they really may need more um, detailed care from occupational therapy, um, a physician, possibly a developmental pediatrician for help. But what we're talking about today, I think, is the -the run-of-the-mill picky eater that a lot of us experience and then how to support the parents and the children so the child can move through that phase and come out the other end eating a wide variety of different foods. Melanie, then uh, now I guess my my wheels are turning and I'm thinking, why do children become picky eaters? It's partly in response to what the parent is or is not doing. It may have something that is a diagnosis, maybe something more serious. Are there other kinds of things that you would attribute this? Why do children become picky eaters? You, you want to know something interesting. I say to my, pa- my patients a lot, this is classically what I hear, is parents come to me often in tears. I have a lot of tissue boxes all over my <laughs> office because people really cry and, and, and they cry out of love and concern and care. Sure, um, sure. And so it, it can really uh, wreak havoc on a, a mother, specifically. I see a lot of this. But it also affects um, a marriage. I've seen a lot of that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, picky eaters are, are – picky eating happens, um, and it's a normal phenomenon. And I don't think people quite understand that. What usually happens is children eat beautifully from about birth to 12 months, 15 months. And if you look at pictures, there's a huge change from an infant to a one-year-old. Huge. Absolutely. But yes. when you look at the change in pictures from a one to a two-year-old, there's not that much difference. And that's a reflection of there's not as much growth. And sure. so these children, first you know, year to second year, just don't require that amount of food. And so they actually start to skip meals and start to become pickier. And parents respond to that, not really understanding sometimes that this is normal and to have them miss a meal or two or three is no big deal. They start to cook what they know the child will eat. Will eat. Mm-hmm. You know, so they start to almost, um, you know, they'll, they'll make the stuff that the kids eat. And a lot of this involves stuff that has a lot of sugar, fat, and salt in it and tastes good. And so the kids become accustomed to these type of foods. And And then the mother is rewarded for the fact that the baby is, the child is eating it and she feels good about herself because she was able to nourish her child. She did her job. Correct. Correct. And so we have have to rearrange their thinking on that and educate them about the physiology of the child at that age. I really can't emphasize this enough, Melanie, because as you know, I teach a comprehensive lactation program to people who are trying to become IBCLCs, lactation consultants, and I raise this question in every single class, every single year, every single city. I give a little scenario of a kid who's 18 months old and what should the parent do? And it's always amazing to me that they kind of, I'm sure they're coming from their own parenthood, you know, kind of want to do something or feel like something needs to be done. And I say, well, well, wait a minute, you know, at 18 months old, the baby's metabolism slows down. And I am not concerned about this kid. If if the baby is otherwise healthy, and maybe you can put out some little finger foods for him to grab as he's going along, or if he gets one good meal a day in him, to me, that's an okay thing. Would you concur? 
I do. Oh, absolutely okay. I do. I think that that's just brilliant. But, you know, there's such a release when these parents, when I say to these parents and they're crying and I say, it is okay for the child to miss a meal. And, you know, I will show them growth charts and I'll say, look, your child's growing beautifully. Is your child developing? Is he sleeping? Is he happy? And they say, yes, everything around them. They have to look at the clinical picture as you and I are taught. You have to look at the big picture. When parents stop focusing on the broccoli, we got to get that broccoli. We got to get that (laughs) broccoli. We got to get it in. And they look at the bigger picture. He's healthy. He's happy. He's funny. We're having a good time as a family. Gosh, what what a um, joy it is. My job's a joy when I can show them that and they can stop really micromanaging every little bite. You know, as I'm hearing you talk and I told my story about what I say in the course, I could feel myself one little tiny bit uneasy. I could hear myself thinking, oh, I didn't ask Melanie about this before. I hope I'm really right on this because if not, I just announced a God in the world. <laughs> you know, and I'm not, a, I'm not a dietitian. And suddenly I'm realizing that the parent must feel a gajillion percent uh, more concerned about that child than me, many times removed just talking about it in a class. Uh, this is so interesting. And on the other side of the break, I would really lo- like to talk about specific some specific things as related to breastfeeding. In the meanwhile, I would like to make sure that I say thank you to our sponsors, to New Angel, that's N-U-A-N-G-E-L dot com, made by mothers for mothers, would also like to just say that the owner is, by the way, a dietitian. And uh, I'd also like to say thank you to Nuru Baby. That's N U R O O B A B Y dot com. Nuru Baby, closest to mom, best for baby, full coverage and mobility so you, the mother, can spend more time skin to skin. Hey, everybody, don't go away. Melanie and I will be right back. And on the other side of the break, we're going to talk about more breastfeeding, weaning, etc. We'll be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuso, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you too. Call to find out how to get an easy payment plan for Marie's IBLCE exam prep course. And if your hospital is seeking the baby-friendly hospital designation, we can help you with that too through expert training and value-based consultation. We have a variety of packages to meet your needs without breaking your budget. Sign up for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Do you enjoy listening to Marie Biancuso? Do you think your staff would enjoy listening to Marie? 
As the past president of Baby Friendly USA, Marie currently offers baby-friendly training programs, online only, live only, or a combination of live and online education. If you are tired of listening to a boring lecture in a dark room, watching bullet point slides with a brief chance for questions at the end, come and enjoy a truly interactive learning online or live program with Marie. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894 to find an option that works for your staff. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Marie Biancuto, your host for Born to be Breastfed. I'm here today with Melanie Silverman of Pacify. And I would like to pick up where we left off. Melanie, as you know, is a dietitian and a lactation consultant, so she's eminently qualified to talk to us a little bit about a myth that makes me kind of nuts. Melanie, I can't tell you how many women have said to me, no, no, I don't want to breastfeed because I have to give up fill in the blank. I have to give up coffee. I have to give up chocolate. I have to give up this. I have to give up that. Now, I can't say I've ever had anybody say because I have to give up Brussels sprouts. But the truth of the matter is that there are a lot of myths floating around about what you have to give up because the the whatever it is, offending food is going to go through the milk, quote unquote, through the milk, and they assume that the baby will be bothered by that. Uh, what's your take on all that? Well, I actually... Um I like to get ahead of this. So sometimes I have pregnant moms come to me and talk to me about um, their worries that you're expressing. And what I like to say is, let's wait and see. That's kind yeah. of what I say. Let's wait and see. Because a lot of this is what they heard from their girlfriend or their sister oh, yeah. or what their experiences are. This is what I found. That you cannot say that all breastfeeding moms have an issue with broccoli with their kids when they eat it. I just have not seen that. There are certain people that may have certain situations, but it could be also that the baby is just having an off day and then they blame the broccoli or this, that, the other. So I'm really guarded in saying that stay away from these foods. I have to tell you, it kind of drives me a little bit crazy when there's these blanket recommendations about what you need to avoid while you're breastfeeding. It it doesn't have to be that complicated, as you know. And broccoli is a healthy food that I want people to eat. So um, I have to say that it's an individual case-by-case basis, and I really like to tell people to wait and see before they make recommendations or decisions about their, their breastfeeding. And to just follow up on that, sometimes I will tell mothers, anytime you hear a recommendation that's a one-size-fits-all, it's probably baloney. Oh, I uh, agree. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, for sure. Yeah, you just, everybody's individualized. I found that with all those years of practice with diet and breastfeeding, for sure. It's a, it's a customized approach is what, what we use. Yeah. Yes, totally agree. So, Melanie, help us a little bit with starting solids. Most mothers know that they're supposed to, even if they're exclusively breastfeeding, that by six months, they know they're supposed to offer 
some soft or semi-soft foods. And one of the things that I found is that sometimes a parent will think that the instant, you know, the very day that the baby turns six months, that they need to offer some food and then they offer it and the baby rejects it. And then the baby gets labeled as a picky eater. Can you address this? Well, yes. um, I'm glad you brought this up. Interestingly enough, and this is uh, really kind of coming out more in the research, we're starting, they're starting to make that recommendation. They're pulling that back a little bit that maybe even four to six months, we start to introduce solid foods. Now, certainly this depends on a pediatrician's okay. You can't just go ahead and do this. You should really have the child checked out by the pediatrician to make sure that he or she is ready. But yeah, I mean, exactly what we talked about before about the customization, you know, it really depends. It doesn't mean the day that they turn four to six months old that you must start the solid foods. It's really a a longer, broader view of what's going on with the baby. If the baby's starting to show interest, Marie, if the baby's starting, I think some of the most exciting things I see out of babies is when they start grabbing for the fork, you know, the parents eating and they start grabbing. What a wonderful developmental signal. That's a great signal. And so when you start to see those things and they start to watch and become interested, then that is a, a beautiful natural signal that they are ready for solid foods, but it doesn't have to be so robotic. And I think that's what you're getting at. Yeah, yeah. And also, you know, truly, there are kids that are younger than six months, and they do start to grab for the food, or they look deprived when the parents are eating, (laughs) or, you know, those kinds of things. Well, then that baby is developmentally ready, and it's not quite six months. And and that's uh, certainly another thing you have to look at. But what I find is that sometimes... The parent will give the baby something very bland, like rice cereal, which, of course, that's another whole story. (laughs) And I kind of want you to address that along with, uh, I always try to tell parents that the recommendation is to offer the food. It doesn't mean that the baby has to take it and you can offer it again the next day or the next week or whatever. Uh, I've also heard parents tell me that they've offered fruit first and then they wished that they would have offered the vegetables first. What do you think? Well, I think, again, that's interesting. I actually do recommend in my practice, um, I I will say if I can get a mom and dad early enough, um, I will say to start to offer vegetables before fruits. I don't necessarily know if that works um, all the time. Again, it's so variable clinically. You know, the Mm -hmm. research may show Mm -hmm. something, but I've seen so many things vary. Um, And, you know, I think... One of the things you brought up is, you know, the, the child may look ready, but then they spit it out. I mean, parents yep. just need to remember that division of responsibility. They decided to provide the food. The child seemed ready. And if that child decides not to eat it or spits it out or doesn't feel like feeding, that's okay. They don't yeah. need to stress out about that. That's one meal. It's the lo- – It's you know, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint kind of thing. And oh, so they just that. have to kind of – they really have to take it in stride and just say, okay, we'll try together. It's just like reading. You know, you don't just pick up a book. Few kids just pick up a book and start reading. They first have to get the letters. Then they have to get the sounds. Then they have to put the words together. Feeding your child is no different than teaching a child how to read. It takes time. It yes. takes, you know, you got to have some patience there. And that's what, you know, dietitians, and there's lots of good ones out there, are really good at expressing to parents. It's one step at a time, Melanie. It really is. It really yeah, is. Yeah. 
Melanie, help me with this because I get flack from this from both the parents and the professionals, which is you and I both know that the latest recommendation is to offer meat when the baby is being weaned, or should I say as a weaning food, one of the first things that is offered. And I get all kinds of flack about it. Are you telling me that I can give my kid a hunk of chicken? You know, is, is the baby really good? Yeah, help me with it. So how do you address this with parents? Because you and I know that from a nutritional standpoint, this makes a whole lot of sense, but it's really kind of not a real popular idea with either the parents or the professionals. Have you got any uh, insight here? Well, first of all, you know, what comes to mind, and you'll appreciate this for sure, is the choking aspect. So when we say to parents, you know, hey, guess what? Did you know you could start with some cooked ground lamb or meat as a good iron source? Um, you know, I have to emphasize the ground again so they understand that the consistency must be safe. So first and foremost, you have to think of the infant and what they can take in terms of swallowing. So you want to make sure if you do start with a protein source like meat or or ground lamb, which is a very hypoallergenic meat um, protein to start with, that it is ground and cooked. And in fact, um, people ask me this too, you know, Uh, should I put any kind of a spice in it or any kind of herb in it? I mean, Mm -hmm. it's nice to try it first plain just to see how the child will take it, but you absolutely shouldn't be afraid of herbs and spices. I mean, it's something that um, can help the child expand their repertoire of food. They may not take it right away, but repeated exposure Exposure. may actually help them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I think you can go ahead and start with that. Or there's other things. There's, like I say, there's no you're not locked in. So if parents feel uneasy about that, avocado. Avocado is yeah. a wonderful thing to start with, too. It's a great source of fat. It's mushy, so it's, mm-hmm. you know, safe. Mm-hmm. So that's something that I think that, you know, lactation consultants, dietitians, pediatricians may feel pretty good about starting um, uh, Melanie, I'm really relieved that you mentioned the <laughs> avocado because I frequently will say avocado. And part of it is because, as you said, it's mushy. I usually encourage the parent to put it on their finger and kind of mush it up a little bit because babies are used to taking something on their tongue that is next to a skin, i.e. Yes. the nipple, the human nipple. And and it's got some flavor and it's, as you say, very good for them. So that's one of my favorite things. I do want to say, though, about the lamb I think lamb has a really distinctive taste, you know, whereas chicken is a little more bland, if you will. I'm really surprised. Do you think that kids, I personally have never recommended the lamb, but I'm learning something as I'm going along here. How how do the kids respond to the lamb? I've seen them do beautifully. I really? really have seen them do beautifully. But again, it's and this is what I'd like to emphasize to everybody, and I think people understand this too, because if you and I went to lunch, we may get different things. Everybody has different changes in taste. It's not a requirement. I really want to make sure. that clear. It's not a requirement, but it's an option. Option. It's an okay. option. And so, yeah, lamb does have a distinct taste, but it's so full of nutrients mm-hmm. um, that it's 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 something that that parents have the option to try, but if they don't want to, they certainly don't have to. Um, but you bring up a really good point. It's a really good point. And so it's just something that parents can decide on their own. Some people feel uneasy about it, but some people go for it. But I have had children just love it. I'm thinking of a woman who said to me, oh, she says, I fed my daughter some salmon the other night and she took it. And the mother was just astonished, you know. 
And I said, oh, well, I'm not really surprised to hear that. And she said, you're not? I said, no, I am guessing that you ate a lot of of, um, salmon while you were – again, salmon is one of those things that has a very distinctive taste, or at least I think it does. Yes. Especially if you have the wild salmon that's high in the omegas, and uh, it it just has a really distinctive taste. And so – uh, I said to her, I, I bet you had a lot during while you were breastfeeding. And she said, yes. I said, did you have a lot while you were pregnant? She said, yes. I said, well, there's part of your answer is your baby has been exposed to that taste. Kids like the things that are, or, or at least usually like the things that they're familiar with. It goes down nice and easy. And, you know, you've just made your, your baby a little salmon lover here. Good for you. <laughs> exactly. Um, Melanie, in the minute or so that we have left, you mentioned ground. Do you suggest grinding the meat before or after it's cooked? Well, usually they do it after. So you okay. it's you, you can buy the ground lamb. That's a great question. You can go buy the ground lamb or the ground meat at the store. You can cook it in a pan and then you would grind it. Now you could add um, a, just a little bit of water to it to make it smooth. If you have any expressed breast milk, believe it or not, you can add a little bit to that and just Good try idea. to make it a little bit smooth. Yeah. And then you can try to feed it to the baby. And, and you know, again, it may, it may not go off so well, but what parents need to remember is that they provided and the child decided. So, um, Whatever that decision is, they just need to respect it. Never force feeding or, 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 or pushing them to eat is, is really the way to go. Love that theme. We'll be right back after this short break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. New Angel manufactures environmentally friendly and hypoallergenic cotton products for breastfeeding mothers and their new angels. Feel the difference. Soft, absorbent, and breathable. Patented, patent-pending, and award-winning products designed by a certified lactation consultant. Look for New Angel biodegradable, disposable, and cotton-washable nursing pads, natural cotton products, and other unique items. Made by mothers for mothers in the USA. By N-U-A-N-G-E-L for your new angel at www.newangel.com and www.amazon.com. The new Pocket is a newborn carrier specifically designed for skin-to-skin contact, affording mom full coverage and hands-free mobility while giving and receiving all the physiological benefits of kangaroo care. Our unique fabric is super soft, breathable, moisture-wicking, and it offers just the right amount of compression fit to ensure proper position and continued support. Hospitals and NICUs are implementing the new Pocket for inpatient use to increase time spent skin-to-skin, as well as help improve breastfeeding scores and infant safety. Learn more at NewRooBaby.com. That's N-U-R-O-O-Baby.com. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm here today with Melanie Silverman. 
Melanie is telling us about picky eaters, a little bit about breastfeeding. We talked a little bit about some first foods. But Melanie, I want to pick it up now. After you've had these, you've introduced these foods, you haven't shoved it at the baby, you haven't gotten any, you know, got any nuts on this with with making the baby eat. We really get your whole idea about the parent providing the food, the baby making the choice. But let's say that parents really recognize their kid is a picky eater. In your opinion, what do parents think or what do they feel or what do they say to each other? You know, I can imagine that parents can have some fights about this. Or what do they say to the child or what do they say to you? Yeah, by the time they land in my office, Marie, they are pretty beaten up. I will be honest with you. This is like a um, festering wound. I mean, it really, when they land there, I mean, that's why I said um, before, you know, I have tissue boxes all over my office because parents cry. And they cry, especially the mothers, because they are literally built to feed. Mothers are built to feed. They're built to breastfeed. And when other feeding doesn't work, it really um, it hurts them. It wounds them. And it's sad to see mm-hmm. them so broken in my office. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I try to back up and explain to them. You know, I certainly take a detailed history, everything that you and I have learned um, way back in school and, and, you know, making sure that I understand the child completely from a medical and a nutritional perspective. Try to take a look at a food record, actually. Take a seven-day food record and understand when the child is eating. And, um you know, try to make the parents look at it um, as a physiologic norm and that some of the things they were doing, while obviously out of love and concern, we may need to adjust. And so from there, we actually work on those adjustments. Um, And and that could be, um, it's in what they eat, but a lot of it is in how they eat, meaning we set up structures, um, set meals and snacks. There's not a lot of drama and dialogue about food. You know, a lot of these parents are negotiating and bribing oh, and chasing the oh, children with mm-hmm. the spoon. It's so oh, sad because geez. they're so desperate to get food into them. So I have to adjust them and really pull back and teach that division of responsibility again and, and help them through that time. So I do spend quite a bit of time with them um, in the office and then out of the office helping them to reestablish feeding. Melanie, I'm thinking that it happens that I'm at my mother's house today as we're recording this show. And I'm thinking that even as I got to be a grown adult, coming home with my grown adult husband, who of course is the piggy eater, I'm thinking how we would come in the back door and almost the first thing my mother would say is, are you hungry? I got some whatever here for you to eat. And it really just hit me when you said that the mothers mothers are built to give food to their babies. And so, of course, they feel really bad when the baby doesn't eat or I would suppose when the adult doesn't eat. And then, of course, I would just overeat when I came in the back <laughs> which isn't good either. But anyway, I, I think that this is, as you say, you know, they're really going out of love. But the truth of the matter is that the negotiating and the drama is not useful. I do want to say, though, Melanie, you must, as, a, as an RD, there is a time and a place when you say, Oops, this is not going well. I am worried about this child. What kinds of things are the tip-off to you that the parent should be 
worried about the baby's eating and maybe they should make an appointment with you. Maybe they should make an appointment with a pediatrician or multiple other people. What's the tip off here? Usually what happens is, that's a great question. So there's a lot of different ways people come to see me, but the pediatrician perhaps in the office, and I've spoken to a lot of pediatricians, they have heard over and over again from the mom, this kid is picky, this kid is picky, this kid is picky. And then the, the, the pediatrician says, look, you provide the food, the child decides whether they eat or not. Because I will say, the pediatricians out there know this principle and they do practice it. But parents okay. need that step. But I will tell you, some of the more complicated cases where something inside of me may shift or just go on high alert is when I see them falling off the growth chart. So mm-hmm. if you have a kid, when I see a kid that comes to me that is a picky eater that's also full, falling off the growth chart, that is a red flag for me um, that I I take a, a deeper, closer look as to what is happening um, in that child. Um, there's I can see very quickly uh, kind of if this is something that I need to worry a, a lot about or something that we can just adjust Um and and kind of see, but it becomes. I feel sometimes like a psychologist, um, more so <laughs> you probably than an are expert. Sometimes, in, yeah, <laughs> I, I yeah, really, and and also in breastfeeding as well with lactation consulting as well. You you, you do play that role as a supporter yeah, or pseudo mom or psychologist, and so um, there are certain things that I look at um, to to deem if this is a, a more serious nature type of picky eater, um, and one of them is the growth chart. It's a very telling good data collection for me to look at how they're growing. Melanie, I just want to check in with you quick, quick. I have always been taught that in the first year or so that kids do kind of try to find their where they are on the curve. So it's okay for them to fluctuate a little, not a lot. A Is hundred- that a Oh, I'm so glad you brought this up. This is okay. so important that we're talking about this, really. Because you know what happens? It's they've you know, parents naturally, again, I keep saying this, but it is the truth that of love and caring and concern really fixate on that one point in the growth chart when the kid dropped from the 50th to the 20th. But yeah. what I try to explain to people is, you know, I actually say to parents, take a look at yourselves. Where, sure. where are you genetically? Is dad 5'6 or is he 6'6? Six, six? Right. You know, and so there's a genetic... Um, you know, the genetics come into play and, you know, children change and depending, you know, breastfed children and the weight gain that they're showing at different parts of that first year. So their weight will shift through the growth curves and it's completely normal. It's normal. And you have to look at the big picture. Are they behaving well? Are they happy? Are they developing? And usually that's just something, it's part of growth. It's normal. Okay, good, because that's one that I bump into a lot, and I basically say, you know, this is a guideline. It's it's not, it's not an exact get bent out of shape about every little doodad. So tell me this: uh, what do you do, if anything, about vitamin and or mineral supplementation for these picky eater kids? Well, I I am not like we discussed before. I'm not you and I both those. We don't subscribe to the blanket theory, right? If something says right. so, I don't actually put every single picky eater on um, on a multivitamin. Believe it or not, and I'll tell you yeah. why. Okay. Because one picky eater comes to me, mom says he's a picky eater. He eats thirty five foods. The next picky eater comes to me, and mom says he's a picky eater. He eats four foods, which I uh-huh. have a lot. That child that's eating four foods, you better believe it that I'm going to put that child on a on a multivitamin. But the kid that comes in with the quote unquote picky eating picky picky eater uh, diagnosis with uh-huh. thirty five foods, I probably wouldn't. Yeah. But it's a, you know it's 
people call them their kids picky eaters and it can mean different things. And as a result, you, you customize it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So are there some special recipes that can help parents to deal with their picky eater child? So that's funny that you bring that up because that's where parents go first. They blame themselves and think their cooking is bad. And they think, oh, it must be that I'm a horrible cook because they won't eat what I I make. Which, again, what does that do for all of these moms and and dads? It makes them feel guilty. And that's not what what I want to do. There's also books. You go over to the local bookstores or you look online. There's beautiful books about how to get your kid to eat and, you know, hiding food and different types of things. And this does not work. It it is beautiful. The, The recipe books are beautiful. But... What works is understanding the division of responsibility. I actually have my families plan their menus and their meals and snacks for a week so they know exactly what's going to be offered. They choose what they want to serve. They choose what they think their children will enjoy and not get caught up with specific special recipes or doing something special to broccoli um, to try to get their kid to eat because that that is not the magic formula. The magic formula is surrendering to the fact that the kid is picky because of physiology and that the kid will eat what he needs when he needs it. That's, that's the recipe for, that's the magic recipe here. Uh, I bet that you have had some pretty complicated picky eater situations. Can you describe one or tell us what parents should do if they have a complicated picky eating eater situation? Well, yeah, I've, I've actually had some pretty um, sad Um, situations where people were doing things extremes. These are extremes. I've had parents feeding their children in the bathtub, Marie. They actually were drawing baths. Yeah. They were putting the kid in the bath to distract them. A a lot of people will use the television or reading or toys. And in some ways that's actually therapy for certain kids that are extreme picky eaters. And so that actually may be necessary. But again, if there's not those other Um, diagnoses than reading to your kid and and putting the television on or putting on iPads or something like that is not the best idea why they're eating. So a lot of distraction. Um, And, uh, you know, again, if they have these complicated picky eating situations, I mean, the most important thing to do is get the help. Why live um, in a state of distress? You know, get some help. There's amazing pediatric dietitians across this country that know who Ellen Satter is that can help like I'm helping today. And, you know, they really can offer some perspective and support for these parents to help their child, you know, break out of this, this rut that they're in. Absolutely. Uh, I'm thinking here that a lot of this is more worrisome from an interaction standpoint and less worrisome from a nutrition standpoint in most cases. Is that true? Yes, I think it is true. I think that, that the parents, um, you know, they, and I, they work themselves into this tizzy that yeah. I have to try to unravel, right? And I just try to show them a, a different way of looking at it. And, you know, picky eating, once you accept the fact that this is actually um, – it's physiologically normal. They, if you set up that structure and provide good, delicious, nutritious food, um, they and they're growing well. That these picky eating type habits, for the most part, will work themselves out. They I would totally out. agree. And I'm not a dietitian, but I, 
I've got a lot of common sense, and luckily my mother did as well, and that makes a lot of sense to me. Hey, everybody, don't go away. I am still here with dietitian and lactation consultant Melanie Silverman from Pacify, and in the last segment, we'll be talking about what parents and what healthcare professionals can do when their child is in this situation. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash donor. Steps to a healthier you. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto with Born to Be Breastfed. I'm your host, and I'm here today with my special guest, dietitian and lactation consultant, Melanie Silverman. Melanie, we've talked a little bit in the first segment about just some general things about kids becoming picky eaters. In the second segment, we talked about breastfeeding, weaning, and picky eaters. And we just got finished talking about some actual things that can be done and ways to understand it. But tell me this, what should parents or what should healthcare professionals who are working with families do when they hear parents complain that their child is picky, you know, if if I get somebody in my office tomorrow, short of sending them to you, what can I do? Or if it's the kid next door and my neighbor lady is talking to me about it, what are some things that I can do or say that would be helpful? And maybe to the contrary, what can I do that would be not helpful? Well, I think that the first thing that you ought to do, maybe parents that think that they may have a picky eater, is keep a food record just for maybe three or four days to get the data because you'd be surprised to see what they're eating and they may be eating better or sadly worse um, than you think once you have that paper in front of you. And so I think that the first thing would be to keep some data. The second thing that would be helpful, I think, for people to spread the word uh, about is that children will eat what they need. If they do not have another diagnosis, I can't emphasize this enough, these parents um, should try to take comfort in the fact if they're growing well and developing well that they will eat when they need to and that the way they ate in infancy may look very different different. during their toddlerhood Mm -hmm. and they just have to um, surrender to, to the physiology of their yeah. child and, and try their best to understand that. And then if they need more help, they need to seek advice from a, a qualified pediatric dietitian. 
Uh, those sound like three really good points. I just want to say, too, that sometimes I find that parents are so used to looking at their baby making the, these huge weight gains, like babies will double their weight between birth and six months. And then when they slow down their weight gain, parents think that something is wrong. And sometimes my comeback to that is, seriously now, do you really want your child to gain weight at such a rapid pace? If so, you'd end up with the jolly green giant. You know, your kid is going to be eight feet tall. You really don't want that. Um, so I, is it possible that some picky eaters are harder to break than others? Absolutely. Uh-huh. Absolutely. I answered that quickly. I have seen some amazing things happen. I teach my picky eater program that's based on Ellen Satter's work. And then within maybe a day or two, Marie, parents are calling me crying tears of joy because their children are eating and their marriages have improved Mm. and life is good in that home. A lot less stress. Yes. Sadly, though, there are some that do not work. I say about 80% of the people that I see um, have some success. It doesn't happen within the next, the first few days all the time, but they do. 20% of the time it doesn't work because the parents have a hard time really responding to the division of responsibility, or maybe there's something else going on with the child that we need to investigate further. So I would say that some are harder to break than others. Yeah, because what I'm thinking is here, when you talk about that division of responsibility, I'm thinking that if the parent can't realize that providing and offering the food is enough. If they still feel like they need to be doing 52 other things, I can see where it's not going to really work. But I can also see where if there's some pathology, it's not going to work. Yes. yes. Or, or maybe it's going to work, but it's going to work a lot. It's going to take a lot longer. Correct. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's where I customize the care. There's some parents that need a little bit more hand-holding and, and uh than others to, to try to, and that's okay. That's sure. okay. I mean, parenting is a personal thing. Absolutely. Everybody has to go at their own pace. And as medical professionals, we have to be respectful of that. I'm thinking really, Melanie, we probably have, if, if people are tuned in here to the program today, it's probably because they're already frustrated. There are parents who are frustrated. We probably have some professionals who feel very bewildered. They might really not be able to remember all of the helpful details that you've talked to us about today. So what three main messages do you want people to be able to take home? Well, that's great. I, I like to wrap it up this way with when I'm teaching my parents. And what I say is, is that picky eating is normal in toddlers. It's not some kind of an abnormal diagnosis. It's actually physiologically normal. And then the second thing that I'd like to drive home is this, that parents should not make special meals for picky eaters. If they notice their child is skipping meals or snacks here and there, it's okay. You know, they should stick to their menus and their menu planning. They shouldn't go reaching and making this, that, or the other to try to get their kid to eat something. They just don't need to do that. It's a lot of energy uh, expenditure for the parent. And that then sounds other- to me like they don't jump up and make their child a hamburger like my mother-in-law. <laughs> that is correct. That, that, that is something I, I respectfully, yes, I, yes. I disagree. We, do, we don't want to do that. And then the other thing is it relates to the breastfeeding uh, parent. Um, know that breastfeeding kids may be less picky. That is, that is something we see. But The missing link there is what are you going to do when the child starts missing meals? Because um, you don't want to cater to them. You still want to provide the food that you think is nutritious and delicious and let them decide. And that's really how, how, 
how best I think that we, we sum up picky eating and how to uh, deal with it. Picky eating is normal. Parents should not make special meals. And even with breastfed kids, you've still got to do some menu planning. Before we start wrapping up today, I do have a question quickly on that menu planning. Do you get parents who feel frustrated when they've planned something and then it doesn't turn out quite the way that they had assumed it would? You mean from a cooking perspective? Yeah. Or from the uh-huh. child not eating it? Oh, yeah. yeah. Cooking can be frustrating. And what I, yeah, I don't want to turn anybody into a gourmet chef. That's not my job. Sure. I'm, I'm certainly not a gourmet chef. But I want to, you know, when I'm talking about planning menus, I want people to do what they feel they can do. And that's part of the work a dietitian does is they actually look to see where the parents are. You know, can they, do they want to cook recipes or do we have to do a bunch of batch cooking on a Sunday because they're working full time? You know, something along those lines. We really try to customize it so that nobody feels we try to prevent frustration. We don't of want course. that to be a, you know, this should be, mealtime is a sacred time, Marie, in a family. I really, I really think it is. And it's, yeah. it's a time for community and it's a time for so much vocabulary building and manners and all this other stuff. And so I really want the meal planning to be part of it, but not take it over and make it miserable. So we really try to uh, make sure that parents uh, feel okay about what they're doing and not get so frustrated. In the short few seconds that we have left over, tell me, uh, where are you? How can we find you? Where's your website? How can we call you? Uh, tell us tell us more about uh, how we can contact you. Okay, great. Well, um, I work for Pacify, which is a mobile application. You can find us at www.pacify, which is P-A-C-I-F-Y dot I-O. It's not dot com, it's dot I-O. And what that is, is actually access for parents around the country to download an app to their phones for instant access to people like me to get their questions answered. So a parent can download Pacify to their phone and press nutritionist and ask about their picky eaters and get that good customized care that I provided today. And just very quickly, I actually want to offer everybody listening a free month, Marie, of Pacify. Yes. Nice. If they use the promo code Pacify, P-A-C-I-F-Y, when they sign up for Pacify through the App Store or the Google Play Store, they get a free month of video conferencing with nutritionists. It doesn't get any better than free. I am so (laughs) grateful. Thank you. Thank you for the free offer. Thank you for spending time with us today. That's all the time we have. And I'd like to thank Melanie Silverman for being with us today. I'd like to thank all of you for listening to Born to be Breastfed. And I'd like to invite all of you to come back next week. For you parents, please visit my website at borntobebreastfed.com for a preview of what's coming up. If you're a professional and want to have a course or join one of my free webinars, uh, please go to my professional site at breastfeedingoutlook.com. And if you're looking for education for breastfeeding and lactation, remember I'm your source for evidence-based practice and education on the web and sometimes in your city. Again, parents, borntobebreastfed.com, professionals, breastfeedingoutlook.com. I'm Marie Biancuzzo. I promise I'll help you to cut through the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding next Monday, same time, same channel. In the meanwhile, remember, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. 
Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.